Coming up next on Tech News Weekly, it's me, Jason Howell, and Micah Sargent is here as well. We talked to Tim Stevens, who joins me to talk all about electric vehicles, but not just the vehicles, the motorcycles, EV motorcycles. It's a whole thing that I'm starting to be like, wow, that actually sounds really appealing. Tim's going to tell us all about that. Also, Mark Gurman from Bloomberg talks all about Apple's progress, the progress that they're making with glucose tracking with the Apple Watch. Very interesting stuff there. I talk a little bit about generative AI, and if you had AI on your bingo card, there you go, uh, and how it's wreaking havoc on magazine submissions. It's getting in the way, and what are they going to do? Also, Micah is all about Spotify's new AI DJ technology. You don't want to miss it. Tech News Weekly is next. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is This is Tech News Weekly, episode 274, recorded Thursday, February 23rd, 2023. This episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by Zip Recruiter. Are you hiring for your team? Despite current headlines, several industries like hospitality and healthcare are heading for a hiring boom. No matter what industry you're in, if you need to hire, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash TNW and try it for free. And by PlexTrack, the premier cybersecurity reporting and collaboration platform. Save time and increase productivity with the platform designed by security professionals to address pain points in reporting and workflow management. Support your team through the complete security lifecycle from assessment through remediation. Visit PlexTrack.com slash twit to claim your free month. And by eight, sleep. Good sleep is the ultimate game changer, and the pod cover is the ultimate sleep machine. Go to 8sleep.com slash twit to check out the pod cover and save $150 at checkout. 8sleep currently ships within the USA, Canada, the UK, select countries in the EU, and Australia. Hello and welcome to Tech News Weekly, the show where every week we talk to and about the people making and breaking the tech news. I am one of your hosts, Micah Sargent. I'm the other guy, Jason Howell. I didn't do my uh, weekly AI tabulation, so it's just going to be a surprise for you all. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Pretty sure there's something in there, though, for you if you like yeah, AI. Yeah, yeah, we got something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I Part of me is like, man, we keep doing this. But I think as a whole, it's just it's technology in general. So you can't blame us. It's just the way of the world right now. You know what don't else is the way us. of the world? Yeah, don't I mean, blame us I... for the news, all right? We just bring it to you. Um <laughs> Something else that's really a powerful force right now is the uh, movement in the EV space, electric vehicles. Um, Personally, I'm relatively new to the EV game. We bought a Tesla Model Y probably about eight, nine months ago or so. So we recently got in before Elon Musk started (laughs) doing all of his things, I will add. Um, And then electric motorcycles. This is a whole other level that I, you know, personally, I've never really been a motorcycle guy. I've, you know, ridden on one maybe a handful of times. I think you're cut from a certain cloth if you feel like, you know what, I'm going to hop on a motorcycle as my daily driver, quite literally. Well, um, I'm not sure if this is your daily driver or if you just have a lot of experience, but our guest, Tim, Tim Stevens, makes a darn good case for why it's so attractive. Tim wrote about um, his experience with electric motorcycles for the information and is here now to talk about it. Welcome back to the show, Tim. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, and you you mentioned in the article actually, I should say I I do know you have twenty years of experience uh, riding around motorcycles. Would you say that the motorcycle is your primary way of transportation? Like, if you had your druthers, it would be motorcycle over over vehicle. Uh, it would be, but yeah, I, I live in upstate New York, and we we just got a couple inches of snow and ice overnight. Oh, so motorcycles okay. aren't really ideal in that situation. <laughs> so true. if you live in a place with with four seasons, you, you kind of got to have a car in the mix. But I do have a couple of motorcycles myself, and uh, certainly I get out on them uh, whenever whenever I can. Yeah. What exactly is it about motorcycles that appeal to you? You know, after after twenty years of riding them. Oh, they're just uh, very, very basic, very simple, uh, but but very fun. You know, it, it's I, I really think the closest sensation of flying that you can get. You know, if if you're a skier oh. or a snowboarder, you, you're kind of used to that sensation. But imagine being able to like ski or snowboard to work, uh, and that's really what motorcycling kind of feels like. You can you know go up hills, go down hills. Uh, it's really a very different sort of freeing sensation, and that's one of the things that I like about electric bikes is that because they're so quiet, they're so silent. It just takes that to the next level because now you don't even have the the kind of nuisance of the noise of an engine, which does sound good. Don't get me wrong. Um, but if you go out at, at night on an electric bike on a dark road and you've only got the headlight shining ahead of you, it really feels like you're just flying through the night. And it's a really special thing. I think I you just you, made Jason oh yeah. a motorcyclist because <laughs> as much as he likes to ski and snowboard, he's probably like, oh, every day I know. Let me do that. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait a minute, you're talking my language. If, if there's a direct <laughs> comparison, I might have to do that. I think I'm I think I'm a little older. I, well, let's just say my wife would probably not be very happy if I suddenly came home and said, I'm going to start riding around a motorcycle. Yeah, um, that, that, that's that definitely the major difference between by. skiing and snowboarding and motorcycling is that there are large, you know, heavy metal objects that are moving around you at high speed when you're on a motorcycle. So the, the, the risk is definitely higher for sure. Yeah, and I hadn't concerned, I hadn't considered the lack of engine noise because that is a, a big part of, you know, the traditional motorcycle is you're literally sitting on top of a more or less exposed engine. So you have all that noise on top of every, you know, all the other noise surrounding you. Um, and the EV bikes don't have that. I hadn't considered that. What are some of the other big advantages that you see as far as riding around an EV bike and maybe even why you might choose an EV bike over an EV automobile? Yes. Yeah, so, Environmentalism obviously is a major thing. No emissions. And if you are in a place where you have renewable energy that's providing your electricity, then really you are doing better things for the environment. Motorcycles are actually really bad for the environment, despite the fact that you would think they'd be, you know, they get good fuel economy. Their emissions are actually really bad compared to a car even. So they're doing pretty bad things for the environment. So that's, that's one thing for sure. There's basically no maintenance on an electric motorcycle, just like with an electric car, no oil to change, no fluids to flush or anything like that. You pretty much just get on and ride it. Uh, and so those those are some of the biggest advantages, but certainly for a new rider, they're so much easier to ride. There's no transmission to worry about. You don't have to learn how to use a clutch with your left hand and shift right. with your foot. Um, it, it, you just get on and twist the throttle just like a scooter, and it's it's nice and easy to get on there and ride. That sounds magical. You could be winning me over here. <laughs> uh, what uh, what kind of range are you looking at uh, as far as you know how how much you get on a single charge from an EV motorcycle? And then, I mean, even beyond that, you know, especially with the Tesla, like I'm, I'm very aware of like the charging infrastructure that's required mm-hmm. around in order to, uh, you know, charge it up. We, we have a charger, of course, here at the house, so we don't have to worry about it nearly as much once we got that installed. But what does that look like with the EV motorcycle and how much range do you get? 
So range, of course, varies depending on what you're looking at. On the lower end side, if you're looking at something like uh, the BMW CE04, which is more of an electric scooter, that's got about 80 miles of maximum range. On the higher end, something like the the Zero DSRX, um, that'll do about 180 miles on that charge. But interestingly, um, motorcycles are really speed dependent. So if you're going slower, you'll get much better range than if you're going faster. And that's because motorcycles actually have much worse uh, air resistance than a car. Believe it or not, there's more drag on a motorcycle than on a car. And so yeah. if you're on the highway, you'll go through your range much more quickly than you would in an EV because something like a Model S has less than half the, the drag of, of a single person on a motorcycle, which is kind of crazy. Um, but in terms that of charging, um, the good news oh. there is these battery packs tend to be quite small. Um, so even on a level two charger like you might have at home, uh, you, you can usually charge a motorcycle up in a couple of hours or on a 110 outlet, just a standard wall outlet. They'll usually charge overnight pretty easily. Nice. Yeah, I guess, you know, I hadn't really considered that. I, I think I always thought that a motorcycle would make things like that um, easier because it's just a smaller footprint. But mm-hmm. when we're in a vehicle, they've, they've, you know, as you well know, Tim, they've gone through great pains to contour and, you know, make all the changes to the vehicle to the point to where the air passes over or in some cases through um, through mm-hmm. the design as opposed to being slowed down. And it's hard to do that with a, a human. <laughs> It's yeah, hard to contour can, ourselves very much. Right. They, they certainly spend a lot of time on aerodynamic efficiency in motorcycles themselves, but yeah. then you've still got that big old human body shape that you got to shove through the air, too, and there's not so much you can do about that. Yeah, that's what we got to get rid of. We just got to get rid of the human beings. <laughs> um, what's your favorite uh, EV motorcycle? You wrote about a few of them. I'm curious to know, like, what is your favorite, and if it's your fave, why is it your fave? Yeah, right now it's probably the Zero DSRX, which is their bigger new dual sport model. Dual sport means basically it's a motorcycle that you can kind of do anything with. You can ride it on road and have a lot of fun with it. You can take it off road and have a lot of fun with that too. I actually have one sitting in my garage that they, they gave me for uh, a longer term test. So I'm looking forward to this ice going away nice. so I can get back out there on the road with it. But I did the launch for that in, in Utah last year and we spent uh, the morning on some beautiful twisty mountain roads and then we had hit the trails in the afternoon and went driving up some rocky trails and it was really great at both i had a, a blast that day and so it's got good range 180 miles of range really good power it's quicker than most uh, sport bikes and uh, i think it looks really nice too nice not bad well i would say at least in the uh the bikes that you wrote about they all look really nice they all kind of have yeah. like a futuristic kind of future equality to them uh, the bikes you wrote about i only recognized bmw <laughs> as one manufacturer on that list every everyone else you know every other bike on the list i was kind of like okay i've never heard of that before but i haven't been paying close attention to the motorcycle industry let's just say um is it taking major manufacturers time to adopt the tech i know that's kind of how it's been with ev vehicles same with motorcycles yeah very much the same tempo that we're seeing with tesla getting a big head start out of other brands like mercedes or audi which are really just coming onto the ev bandwagon now brands on the motorcycle side like zero motorcycles has been making evs for for over a decade now uh, and really they've been leading the market and and we're still seeing other major brands like honda and ducati you know talking about concepts talking about products for coming down the road and a few limited models for kids for example from honda for example but really nothing mainstream from most of the major manufacturers outside of bmw and Harley Davidson does have one as well, but they actually took that model and spun it off to be a separate brand. So it's not technically a Harley now either. So there's a lot of opportunity there, but I think most manufacturers think that the market hasn't quite matured enough for them to make a big investment. And that's what we're really waiting to see. 
Oh, see, and I was going to ask you about Harley Davidson, but I was going to ask you about Harley Davidson and Jess because I was like, there's no way that they have an EV bike uh, on the horizon. But I guess they're all taking it seriously at this point. They've, the I, yeah. I, I would guess the EV vehicles have, have shown, proven that there is a market, there is a uh, desire, demand, um, that a lot of the hurdles that used to exist for these kinds of things um, are less so, maybe not entirely removed, but less so. Right. Motorcycles do tend to be a bit more conservative when it comes to adopting technology, especially a brand like Harley-Davidson. So it really was surprising that Harley is uh, one of the first major manufacturers to launch an electric bike. Uh, but th- they saw such uh, interesting responses from their traditional clientele that, that, again, they very quickly spun it off to be its own brand and it's no longer technically a Harley-Davidson. But, yeah, you know, riders of Harleys and, and Indians are, are, you know, they're very tied to the, the heritage of their brand. So they're maybe going to be a little bit less um, accepting of something than a brand like BMW, but again, that just creates more opportunities for brands like Zero Motorcycles to come in and and really blow the market open with with really cool, fresh, and exciting stuff. Yeah, no question. Um, finally, what do you, in your view, what does the future hold for electric motorcycles? The things that you see on the horizon that excite you about where things are headed, and maybe we're not there yet, but you know this is coming in the not too distant future, mm-hmm. and you're excited for it. What would that be? I love that this is allowing manufacturers, new manufacturers, to really think what an electric motorcycle should be or what a motorcycle should be. We saw some interesting things from companies like Rivian, for example, rethinking what a truck should be simply because they got mm-hmm. rid of the engine. They've got that cool little pass-through storage thing where the fuel tank should be. On the motorcycle side, Damon is doing some cool things. They're a brand that's going to be launching their upcoming sport bike called, called the Hypersport here in about a year or so. And they're doing things like allowing the bike to reconfigure itself, basically morph so it can be a sport bike and it'll kind of drop you down low into a hunched over position if you want to be aerodynamic but if you want to be more comfortable it'll actually raise the bars up and drop the foot pegs down to make it more comfortable for your cruising on the commute that kind of thing we've never seen something like that on a motorcycle before and again that's just the kind of fresh thinking that these ev bikes are bringing to the market that really someone like a ducati or honda or a kawasaki probably wouldn't have thought of on their own yeah, it brings us closer to Transformers, I think. So Absolutely, like, yeah. Like a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm uh, both uh, excited about that and uh, terrified. Uh, <laughs> Tim Stevens, thank you so much for hopping on. I always get, uh, enjoy having the opportunity to talk with you. And uh, you are, of course, this article was written for The Information, theinformation.com, so everybody should check it out to get the full scoop. Um, but you also have a Substack. I'm sure that's what you want people to know about. Tell people a little bit about it. Yeah, I'm on uh, Tim Stevens at Substack.com, basically kind of musings about the automotive and technology industry and the odd writing tip and some other fun stuff, too. Right on, Tim. Thank you so much. It's great to talk with you, and we'll speak with you soon. Thanks, Jason. All right. Take care of yourself. Thanks so much. Up next, we take a look at Apple's upcoming plans for its ever-so-popular Apple Watch. But first, this episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by Zip Recruiter. Are you hiring for your team? Well, you may, you know, I've seen those headlines that are suggesting that hiring is uh, dropping, but several industries like hospitality and healthcare are heading for a hiring boom. And no matter what industry you're in, if you need to hire, well, you can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash TNW and try it for free. You know, maybe there's uh, a new plan that you have for your business. You are wanting to, I don't know, start a podcast, for example, or you are wanting to uh, break into content creation. Well, Zip Recruiter can help you find those candidates who can make that possible. That is where Zip Recruiter 
comes into play. ZipRecruiter uses its powerful matching technology to find qualified candidates for a wide range of roles. If you see a candidate who'd be perfect for your job, well, ZipRecruiter makes it easy to send them a personal invite so they're more likely to apply. As you can say, hey, you seem right for this role. They see that and they go, oh, this person wants me. To come work for them. Uh, yeah, I'm going to apply. And ZipRecruiter also has a user-friendly dashboard that lets you filter, review, and rate your candidates all from one place. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate in the first day. So find quality candidates fast and let ZipRecruiter keep your team growing strong. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash TNW to try ZipRecruiter for free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash TNW. And our thanks to ZipRecruiter for sponsoring this week's episode of Tech News Weekly. It's uh, often been called the holy grail of wearable devices. Uh, It is the idea that the numerous uh, people in the United States and around the world who need to track their blood glucose um, should be able to do so without having to prick their finger, replace a sensor that uh, goes on their forearm or any number of other means by which we track our blood glucose levels. Uh, Apple has been working on this for some time and has reportedly made uh, some major progress in the field. Joining us today to talk about what he knows, it's Bloomberg's own Mark Gurman. Welcome back to the show, Mark. Hey, Michael. Thanks as always for having me. Yeah, thanks as always for uh, joining us to talk about this. So let's kick things off. Um, Tell me about kind of how long, because I was surprised in reading your piece, um, how long has Apple been at this? Yeah, this actually dates back to the Steve Jobs era, right? Apple bought a company called Rarelight out of New Mexico uh, in 2010 and hired its founder, who was also its only engineer, Bob Messerschmidt, uh, to develop this non-invasive glucose monitor, uh, eventually destined for the Apple Watch, or at least that was the goal at the time when they bought this company. Uh, and they've been working on it now. That makes it about 12, 13 years. And recently, they've hit major milestones. They've made major progress. And they now believe that they're at a proof of concept stage. And they have a pathway uh, to bringing non-invasive glucose monitoring continuously uh, to an Apple Watch, uh, at least in, the, in this decade, hopefully. Yes. So that is uh, that was going to be my next question. I'm glad that uh, you brought that up. Uh, before we dig into the details of this, um, it's not something that we're going to see in the next Apple Watch, but instead is something that um, is finally past, it seems, the stage of, well, that'd be a cool thing to do, and is finally in the realm of, we might be able to make this happen. Is that correct? It's past R&D. Right. It's past okay. R&D. So it's more of a proof of concept stage. They got the underlying tech working. It's now about uh, shrinking it to a sensor stack that could fit in a smartwatch. Uh, in terms of this year's Apple Watch, no, it won't be in this year's watch. This year's watch is actually going to be a pretty minor update. Uh, you're going to see you know, minor changes uh, on health and watch OS and faster processors uh, in the Apple Watch models for this year. Uh, blood pressure tracking, another key a health feature you would want in a smartwatch that'll come before glucose. I don't think glucose is going to come until a bit later in the decade, Uh, but it's something that's actively being worked on across, you know, a special team dedicated to this, uh, but also the Apple watch hardware engineering organization. 
Got it. Now, you, because you brought it up now, I want to take a brief uh, uh, jaunt over into blood pressure territory because something that I noticed about this piece uh, that we're going to get to even more is you really go into depth about the technology behind it. So before we hit that, you say blood pressure could come first. How, if we know, how in the world can we use a watch and the sensors in the watch to actually track blood pressure? Are we going to have a watch band that inflates on our wrist and then deflates afterward? You know, it's similar underlying technology where it's using sensors to actually read the pressure uh, of the blood beneath your skin. And it's basically the idea of, to your point, not having to use an inflating cuff. Right. So the idea is not having to do that. They want to do a cuffless sort of blood pressure system. That's something that's been in the works for quite a while at Apple as well. Uh, way further along than the glucose project, I'd say, but probably equally as important, right, to many mm-hmm. people around the world. So that'll come probably in the next two or so years. Yeah. And this is, I mean, what it boils down to in the end, it seems, is a lot of work with algorithms. Um, Tell us about where Apple has focused its attention in terms of making uh, constant glucose monitoring possible on something as small as an Apple Watch. I know that, you know, they're still working on making the technology smaller and smaller, but how does one even begin to figure out uh, someone's blood glucose level without actually going into the blood and determining how much glucose is there? Okay, so <laughs> it uses a technology called um, optical spectroscopy as well as a new chip technology called silicon photonics, right? And essentially, just to break it down, it's using lights and lasers that shoot light into what is known as interstitial fluid. That's fluid that flows out of your blood capillaries. Everyone has this fluid beneath their skin, right? And so what the light does, it shines through your skin into that fluid, right? And it's able to then reflect back to sensors beneath the watch. And what's reflecting is the concentration of glucose within that fluid. So it's not measuring the blood per se, it's measuring the amount of glucose within that fluid. And the system then uses an algorithm to convert the meaning of amount of glucose in your interstitial fluid to what that would mean for the amount of glucose in your blood. Hence, it receives your blood sugar information. And I guess now comes the question, how... If, so, so one of the things that we've seen is um, Apple, I remember Apple announcing, <clears throat> excuse me, differential privacy. And what was interesting about their announcement of differential privacy, which is this idea, and I, I'm not going to go into the, the technical aspects of it, but through a bunch of uh, of numbers and magic, you can make it so that, <clears throat> excuse me, information can be shared with Apple but it is not tied back to an individual. And this was right. uh, at, a, at a time when Apple was, uh, you know, really kind of stepping up its game with the Apple Watch, making it more of a, of a product that tracked health. And as Apple has been able to gather more information, both itself and then also through the different um, research uh, studies that it's done, well, in partnership with uh, different organizations, it has helped to improve upon the technology. So this is this is all leading to my question of if we don't have this blood glucose monitoring system already out in the wild, being able to kind of uh, make subtle adjustments based on what it's learning, how does Apple go about testing this without 
everybody finding out about it until Mark Gurman publishes a piece on Bloomberg to let us know about it, because this has been going on, as you mentioned, for years. So how did they do this in secret? First of all, that's a great question. In terms of the differential privacy on the device itself, I would imagine all the algorithms are tied to the phone and the watch uh, directly. So none of this is happening online and it's not really being stored online out of an encrypted environment. So if anyone is concerned about Apple getting your glucose level uh, information, uh, I don't think that's a, you know, a real concern at this point uh, in terms of how they've kept the secret. So this team, right, actually began as a fake startup that Apple created uh, around 2011 called Avalante Health LLC, actually based in Palo Alto. And the team and the engineering work was done out of this facility in Palo Alto. And the reason they made a fake startup is to answer that question, right? How do they keep the secret? Well, you can do human trials, you can do partnerships, you can buy supplies from uh, different providers and such, different partnerships without them knowing you're Apple. So they've done many trials with humans over the last several years, but these humans thought they were doing trials for a startup called Avalante. They had no idea it was Apple. Wow. Okay. That is interesting. Now, I like that in your piece, you also talked to two big companies, um, Dexcom, Abbott uh, Laboratories, and and talked about them. Um, Kind of where do those companies uh, exist in this lineup of uh, all the way from going into the doctor, having your blood drawn, having the blood glucose uh, measured through that to I'm at home, I prick my finger, I put the little uh, thing against my finger and it reads it to the thing that you put on your arm that you have to replace every once in a while, all the way now to constant uh, blood glucose monitoring in a way where you don't even have to replace it regularly. Um, Are those companies working on things themselves? Do you think that we'll see anything from them before Apple gets to this or is Apple kind of at the forefront as far as, you know, you've been able to see? Yeah, and another great question. So I don't think that Abbott and Dexcom uh, are in sort of the process for when you go to your doctor and you get a vein-based draw, right? So really the two types of ways to get the glucose levels right now is a vein draw, which is when you go get your blood test at the doctor or Quest or, or, or what have you. The other one is a capillary blood draw. That's when you prick the skin yourself uh, and get... Uh, you know, a blood sample from there and put it on one of those little machines that you can buy at the at the pharmacy. Abbott and Dexcom both, you know, sell machines like that. Uh, they've also both made patches. I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl, but I don't know which Jonas brother, but one of the Jonas brothers was in a Super Bowl ad for Abbott. They have a patch called the Free Libre. And that patch is awesome for diabetics. It pricks your skin. That's the big difference from Apple. It goes into your bicep. Uh, and it can get that data continuously, but it, have to, it has to be replaced every two weeks. Obviously not as convenient as the smartwatch solution, but in terms of where we are today, I think it's great. Uh, in terms of what they're working on, you know, Abbott uh, got back to us last night and told us that they're still looking into continuous non-invasive glucose uh, measurement systems that could be similar to what Apple is working on. Uh, it's unclear what the status of the Dexcom and the projects from Abbott are at this point, but obviously they want to look into that next step. And maybe there's an p- opportunity for Dexcom and Abbott to work with Apple on this. Um, the other side of the coin is that many startups and major companies, including Google, have tried to do this. If you remember, Google had a project that they kicked off in, four- in 14, that they actually shelved in 18, uh, that measured glucose through your teardrops. Right. So there isn't a way to non-invasively measure the actual blood. You sort of have to work around it. Right. And Google's approach to working around it was to get 
glucose out of your tears. That's why they made contact lenses, right? Apple's approach is to measure the amount of glucose in your interstitial fluid because that's very connected to blood. And there's an algorithm that they've created that can do that conversion on the fly. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So just two two different methods. And I think that's kind of what's been interesting is how different companies are attempting to tackle it uh, through different means. Now, one one last thing here. I found it kind of fascinating, the almost nesting doll nature of Apple's uh, engineering teams, because you talk about uh, the the technology development group, which is working on uh, the mixed reality headset. And then there's the special projects group, which is working on the self-driving car stuff. And then there's XDG, Apple's exploratory design <laughs> group, which is working on this. D- From your understanding... Do each of these groups kind of know about the existence of the other sort of secret groups? And then my bigger question, and I don't know if you even have the answer to this, is it possible that um, an engineer working in the uh, special projects group could also be an engineer working in the XDG group? Or is there, do you think, separation between these teams entirely? Yeah, Apple's very compartmentalized, right? It's very likely that you know, people working in XDG have no idea what's going on in SDG or in TDG, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's possible, uh, but I, I, I would imagine not. Got it. Um, well, Mark Gurman, thank you so much for uh, taking some time today to talk to us about this. Uh, of course, we'll be keeping our eyes peeled um, as we see what uh, comes out in the next couple of years before we get to uh, blood glucose monitoring, hopefully at some point in the future. Um, always appreciate the work that you're doing over on Bloomberg. If folks want to follow you online and make sure they're staying up to date with that work, where should they go to do so? Yeah, thank you. Um, Bloomberg.com slash power on to subscribe to my weekly column uh, and then Twitter.com slash Mark Berman. And you can get a link to all my articles from there. And Micah, thank you and the team as always for having me and hope to see you soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thank you, Mark. All right. Up next, how generative AI. There's the word. OK, oh, so we heard it. How generative AI is wreaking havoc on magazine submissions and book marketplaces is changing the written word. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But first, this episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by PlexTrack, the premier cybersecurity reporting and collaboration platform that empowers teams to win the right security battles, right? You want to win the security battles, let's be honest. What if you could streamline the communication across the entire security department so that every team member could do their job more efficiently? Well, from simplified data aggregation and reporting to integrated ticketing for remediation to, let's see here, analytics, visualizations for board reporting, all these things PlexTrack touches every aspect of the security management workflow. So you can gain a real-time view of your security posture by bringing all your data sources together into one powerful platform where you can then triage scanner results. You can generate powerful analytics and visualizations, like I said, assign remediation tasks, attest to your posture. You can even track your progress over time so you know how you're doing uh, down the line. As a satisfied PlexTrack client, Uh, recently put it, we see PlexTrack as a part of our strategy to move quicker and be proactive. Now we have a real-time view of what we need to focus on 
And they continue, I have an easy way of showing senior leadership. That's important too, right? FlexTrack serves every aspect of the or, of the enterprise security team program with features designed to improve workflow, collaboration, and communication for each role. So you've got red team data aggregation. So, you know, importing data from all of your automated vulnerability scanners and tools. You can triage, report your results, and all of it in half the time. You've got your blue team remediation. So assigning remediation tasks right on the platform or, you know, there's a lot of really robust integrations with the ticketing tools your team already uses. So Jira, uh, ServiceNow, all those services, and track that progress over time. You've got communication with stakeholders, so you can use powerful yet simple analytics to attest to security posture and prioritize issues. You can tailor attestation and communication to the needs of both team members and the C-suite. And then you've got continuous purple teaming assessment. So begin purple teaming, or you can power up your current strategies with Runbooks, which is the best in industry tool for test plan execution. Security teams of all sizes and maturities can actually maximize the efficiency and effectiveness of their workflows with PlexTrack. Customers report that PlexTrack enables the team to produce higher quality findings. Uh, this is a quote to our stakeholders faster that the platform has a five times ROI in year one and that it gives their cybersecurity operations a 30% increase in efficiency. PlexTrack improves the entire security engagement lifecycle. They make it easy to generate security reports, deliver them securely, and track the issues to completion straight from the platform. And you can check it all out yourself. All you have to do is book a demo, and you want to do that right now. Check it out. Why wait? Try PlexTrack free for one month and see how it can change your life as a security professional. All you got to do, simply go to plextrack.com slash twit and claim your free month. And I'll spell that out. P-L-E-X-T-R-A-C, plextrack.com slash T-W-I-T for twit. And uh, you're going to love it. So check it out. And we thank Plextrack for their support of Tech News Weekly. Okay. AI, here we are, uh, <laughs> continues to wreak havoc in very interesting ways. And unlike the graphical creations that AI uh, can be used, uh, and we've talked about a lot lately, with uh, things like uh, stable diffusion and, you know, that, that create these visual arts, right? It's um, They're kind of getting to the point to where they're able to put watermarks into the output from these uh, systems that are invisible to the naked eye, but definitely there, uh, kind of like a pattern of pixels, however they do that. And that, in essence, is a way to signal that the AI was used to generate that image. And that's, you know, that's in place and happening right now. The written word by comparison is perhaps more challenging to identify, right? Like it's not easy to put like an extra pixel into the R uh, in a written word so that you know that that's, that was generated by a computer. Well, so I've got a couple of stories that touch on this. The first story um, focuses on a popular science fiction magazine called Clark's World Magazine. And I guess since 2006, so for quite a while, the magazine has accepted submissions uh, from science fiction authors and then published the best of their work. And those authors are actually, they're getting paid for the work that they're doing, right? Paying uh, authors 12 cents per word if it gets published, which I, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I mean, I feel like, you know, per word that that adds up. That's probably mm -hmm. pretty good. Have Dan Warren on, he'd probably be able to give us good perspective on that. But um, some of the work that has been published in this magazine has even gone on to win uh, Hugo Awards. So 
you know, there's a lot of momentum, a lot. This is a very popular magazine and a lot of really great stuff published there. Well, they stated in recent months that submissions that were in any way authored by AI would not be accepted. Uh, so the editor, Neil Clark, just recently, that's this Monday, uh, noted, uh, announced rather, that the magazine has temporarily suspended the, submi- the submissions site. So they're no longer accepting submissions for now. Uh, referring to a huge increase in AI-generated stories. And to kind of visualize this, and you can see it in this article from Ars Technica if you scroll down, on Twitter he shared a graph that illustrates the rise in AI-generated submissions. And, uh, you know, keep in mind ChatGPT launched on November 30th, 2022. So the graph shows the total number of banned writers by month since 2019, relatively flat, close to zero, um, and as recently as October 2022, just last October, it still sat at around only around 25 plagiarized stories per month. That's what they're really looking for. January saw a jump up to 100. And then February, so far, right, we're not at the end of February, has around 500 banned submissions. When you look at this graph, you see just February, it's like ping all the way to the top. Everything else is tiny by comparison. Um, so... You know, he, he what he's citing, and I thought this was really interesting, he cites side hustle experts online. And if you go to YouTube and you do a search, you know, for like ChatGPT, passive income or, or whatever, you come up with all these ways that people, side hustle, you know, influencers, let's say, are encouraging people to, you know, you think of all the ways that you can make money with ChatGPT writing this stuff for you. And so, you know, the article pointed out that they couldn't find one that specifically referred to this magazine, but there are a ton of these videos, a ton of these, a ton of people out there showing how you can use the chat GPT tool to make quote passive income, having it write stories for you. And I just, I find that fascinating. I don't know about you, Mike, but that's, that's, I'm not surprised, but I'm fascinated. So yeah, I, I guess, I don't know. Um, There's this, there's this uh, phrase called, quote, saying the quiet part out loud. And <laughs> yeah. it, is, it is often used as a means to like tell someone, be cool, be cool. Like, we all know this thing, but you're not supposed to say it right. out loud. You're not supposed to say it. Yeah. Yeah. No we one talks just, about Fight Club. Yeah, no one. Exactly. It's, it's a Fight Club <laughs> thing. And so the fact that there are these videos out there is kind of like, well, now you've done spoiled it. Um and now we can't. And here's the thing. Obviously, if these are, you know, small publications, small organizations, and these are leaching these publications dry, that's not great. Um, but I don't know if Walmart, for some reason, had some online uh, system where or online uh, blog where you could submit stories and make money. And you used some AI to generate some of those. I don't think I'd feel as gross about that. Um, so it's a, it's one of those things where, yeah, I I think that it is overall not great. Um, but I do wonder about the quality. If mm. the quality is up there, and people are reading these and into them. Is there harm? Is uh, that is that a bad thing? I I, I don't right, know if right. if it's because and is it disclosed? <laughs> yeah, and if it's disclosed, uh, because yeah. I think about uh, reading some stuff that I've you know come across online, and I'm going, 
I've just wasted, you know, 30 seconds of my life. I'll never get back by having read this. <laughs> and yeah, so, yeah. And, and it was written by a human. So if the robot could do That's it better, the, and it like makes it entertaining and I'm enjoying it, then I'm still getting value out of it. And then the site is getting value out of it because I'm there and I'm looking at it. So yeah, it's again, it's always this, it's a little bit this, it's a little bit that situation. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what, what to think. All right. Well, this that's one half of the of the equation, one half of the stories that I brought. The other story uh, is similar, kind of similar, I think, ethical, uh, you know, questions and concerns. Um, Amazon's book marketplace online. Apparently, it's being overrun by AI generated books as well. Uh, all thanks to Amazon's self-publishing ebook system. Reuters uh, looked into this, cited at least 200 titles that show ChatGPT as the author or as co-author. Um, apparently, Amazon doesn't currently have any rules or policies that forbid these tools or this kind of generated content. I mean, I I wonder if they're working on it. I, you know, earlier I was like, I bet they're working on it, but. I mean, maybe Amazon's okay with it because, like you said, you you make a valid point, and I and this is the point uh, that I uh, like. This is something that I feel about the imagery that I realize I recognize now. I wasn't bringing over into the written word, which is mm. like if I look at an image and it's a pretty image and I like it, does it matter that a robot or a computer made it? And like, I'm not offended if I'm looking at something and it's neat, and then I realize a computer made it. Um, I think I would prefer to know that when I'm looking at it, you know, as opposed to like, oh, uh, Tom, you know, Tom Jones made that artwork. And I don't know why that makes a difference, but if, Maybe you know, people if feel I found out later, yeah, yeah, totally. It's the dishonest aspect, I suppose. It's kind of like anyone can use these tools to come up with something. Um, so just kind of be honest about it. And I guess some of these books in the Amazon marketplace, you know, the ones that they found, have the author or co-author is chat GPT. So it's not like they're being overly kind of obscure about it. Right. There. They disclosed it. So does it really matter? I don't know. A lot of people, you know, kind of getting back to what you were saying, a lot of people write really questionable, uh, you know, low quality stuff and publish it. <laughs> uh -huh. I mean, we, you know what? We can go back in the history of twit and go back to diamond club, which was a book that was, quite literally written by the audience of the NSFW show, if, if my memory serves me. Um, and I mean, no, no offense to the folks who all put it together, but I don't think it was ever created with the thought that it was a really great book. It was created to prove the point that they could get this book to the top of the charts for as bad as it was. So there's mm -hmm. bad stuff there anyways, regardless of if a computer wrote it or not. It's, I think to, it's just, um, so going back to what I was just saying, the, the duped thing, like, I, I think it depends on when you, how you're approaching these, because for me, I go back to what I said before, if I like the content that I'm searching out for, you know, entertainment or pleasure is quite literally, that's what I care about. So I'm not yeah. going, I want human content that is for right. entertainment. If it provides the thing that I'm after, I don't care if a, a, a spotted squirrel from, 
Alapalooza wrote it with, you know, while it was uh, running around chasing a nut over a giant keyboard. And somehow it made this beautiful story that makes me laugh. Like, that's fine. I don't care who wrote it. It's fine. That would be, actually be pretty um, compelling, to be it honest. It would be very <laughs> compelling, honestly, yes. Uh, so get on that for sure. But um, honestly, I may have to type that into Chad GPT and see what comes up. But um, yes. th- I guess what I'm saying is some people get yeah. can get so upset if they feel like they've been duped even when i don't think that it's necessarily the intention for duping um it's just because also this is a as an aside um i really the way my brain works and the way that i interact with things around me in a given day um audiobooks for me are one of my most favorite forms of media and I am a voracious audiobook listener. And because of that, I end up getting to the end of the availability of a series uh, because I have listened through all of the books. And there's been talk about um, with, with Apple uh, doing audiobooks with AI voices and I want that to happen so bad because it does take a much longer time for a human being to read through an entire book and for that to be edited properly and for all the stuff that needs to happen in order for an audiobook to be released. And mm. there's, and I'm specifically talking, I'm not going to name the series, but there is a series that I um, am, have you know listened to and the author is like, I don't know, five or six books ahead of the audiobook releases. And so there's like an artificial uh, pause on when these books are released, um, where even the person who's reading the books, they have moved on to book, you know, the, the latest book, and they're working on that one right now. But because of the way that audiobook um, rollouts work, then it's not getting uh, all of those or it's not publishing them. It, you know, it's, it's waiting until this date or that date and it feels artificial and I'm going, I just want my audiobook now and I can't yeah, have it. Yeah. And so that's one place where I, <laughs> as a consumer would not be bothered by it being done by um, an AI. But at the same time, I a hundred percent understand the arguments that are there for the audiobook um, artists whose voices are, you know, their, their, their product. So once again, it's this yep. you know, back and forth thing. It's, it's, it's tough, but at, at the end of the day, we have to acknowledge that this technology is here and that it's doing the things that it's doing and it's going to continue to improve. And we now live in that world. And so we have yeah. to find some understanding of how it all works in, yeah, understanding. Know, in, in what we do. I think between these two stories, I am a little bit, I'm, I'm more forgiving uh, on the Amazon side because I'm kind of like, well, yeah, okay, that's going to happen. Maybe less so forgiving on the magazine submission side because I think it kind of goes back to that example that we talked about, I don't know how many months ago, where an AI art was submitted to a contest at a fair or something like that and ended up winning you know, over all the art that the actual humans were creating. And that rubbed me the wrong way because I was like, well, as a human, like, I want to know that, like, I've, I put this effort into something and I've created something. And I, I, uh, if I lost, 
I lost to someone else who did some, who put in equal work. And, you know, I guess some, some people might um, argue that it is equal work, even though it's, you know, prompt writing, which is a different type of work. But anyways, I kind of lump them into the same category where I'm like, well, you know what, this is a contest for people who write novels or write science fiction stories. It's not a contest for what kind of science fiction story can you get a computer to write? And I do mm-hmm. see those things as, as different. So anyways, there you go. Um, I don't, maybe we'll have some more AI coming up after this break. <laughs> we may very well. Uh, because Spotify is getting in on the AI game. Before we get to that, though, I do want to tell you about 8Sleep, who are sponsoring this week's episode of Tech News Weekly and sponsoring my night of sleep every night um look good sleep is the ultimate game changer and the pod cover is the ultimate sleep machine consistent good sleep can help reduce the likelihood of serious health issues it can decrease the risk of heart disease it can lower blood pressure it can even reduce the risk of alzheimer's if you struggle to fall asleep if you wake up in the middle of the night like i used to or perhaps you even argue with your partner over the thermostat i want it colder i want it warmer i want it in the middle Baby Bear gets the answer. Anyway, the 8Sleep pod cover works hard all night long to improve your sleep so you don't have to worry about it. I've kind of described it before as like the parent who's holding the child in their arms and is doing all the right things to make sure that the baby stays asleep. As you start to kind of wake up, then uh, the parent changes the song or gets quieter or starts rocking in a different way. And then you continue to be fast asleep. That's a little bit like the way that the pod cover works because overnight it's paying attention to not only just your sleep in general, but how you're responding to the subtle changes in the temperature and then using all of that to make sure that you stay asleep and that your sleep stages are properly carried out. I used to wake up all the time in the middle of the night because I'm just a hot sleeper. I don't know why, but I just sleep hot. And so I would wake up in the middle of the night, be miserable, sweaty, have to get up, kind of like cool down, get back in bed. And waking up over, you know, multiple times in a night is not good for sleep, obviously. You want to stay asleep and hit all of those stages of your sleep cycle. Um, with the pod cover, which is the thing that is on my mattress, it, it fits on any mattress and allows you to adjust the temperature of your sleeping environment, providing the optimal temperature that gets you the best night's sleep. The pod cover features dual zone temperature control, so you and the person you sleep with can set your sides of the bed to as cool as 55 degrees Fahrenheit or as hot as 110 degrees Fahrenheit. Then based on your biometrics, based on the environment, based on the sleep stages that you're in, the pod cover makes temperature adjustments throughout the night that limit wake-ups and increase your percentage of deep sleep. That's stage three of sleep, and it is an incredibly important stage of sleep for recovery and for kind of cleaning up your brain and making sure that you're ready to tackle the next day. As we get older, we get less of that stage three sleep, that deep sleep. And so anything that you can do to have more of that is good uh, because a lot of scientists think that that is one of the ways we can tackle uh, aging and in particular brain aging is if we can get more deep sleep as we age, uh, then 
that can mean that our brains continue to kind of keep themselves clean. In addition to its best-in-class temperature regulation, the pod cover also has sensors that track your health and sleep metrics without the need to use any wearable devices. So if you're a person who wishes you could track your sleep, but you don't like wearing a watch to bed or a ring or, uh, you know, put something on the uh, on your arm or what have you, then the pod cover will take care of all of that for you. And in the morning, you can kind of see a report of, of how you're doing. Better sleep is the health habit that I know you're going to love sticking to night after night. Wake up fully energized, ready to take on the day with the pod cover so you can tackle whatever life throws at you. I love the, um, it's got a built-in alarm. And so on top of, because I... I understand the science behind, or as much of it as I can, I understand the science behind good sleep. And uh, so I keep my bed nice and cool because uh, the cooler is a better temperature to have. But when it comes time to wake up in the morning, um, I have the eight sleep warm up the bed. And at the same time, it also has these vibration motors on my side of the bed that will lightly buzz the bed. So it's slowly and suddenly waking me up with not only that temperature rise, which gets me out of bed because it reminds me of the nights when I would wake up to being too warm in the bed, but then also that bzz, bzz, bzz is happening and I'm going, oh, I need to get up. Uh, and that can be great too if you have, um, you know, if there's someone else that sleeps in the bed with you and you want to make sure that they stay asleep and they're not annoyed by your nine alarms going off out loud and disturbing their sleep uh, with the the vibration motor that's built in. This, this is a great way to wake up and not disturb uh, the other person in the bed. So check this out. Go to 8sleep.com slash twit and save $150 at checkout on the pod cover. 8sleep currently ships within the USA, Canada, the UK, select countries in the EU, and Australia. That's 8sleep.com slash twit check it out it honestly it can sincerely be life-changing sleep is so important and you've probably heard people say that for years once i started learning about sleep science because i used to do a podcast about sleep science and dreams i came to understand that even though we all hear and even many of us say to others like sleep is so important we don't quite understand how true that is and how much more important sleep is than even we are giving its level of importance. Honestly, if I could sleep for like 16 hours a day, I would, but that's, that's beside <laughs> the point. <laughs> well, with uh, eight sleep, you. it's pretty easy to sleep yeah. 16 hours a day. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, ask my partner, uh, whenever I don't have work days, I may be in that bed, uh, throughout the day. It's, it's great, but, um, check out eight sleep.com slash twit. All right. Back from the break, and now it's time for my story of the week. Um, I wanted to mention this. So Spotify held an event recently where it announced a whole host of changes and then also updates on the company, kind of what um, new features it had released in the past year. And of course, it's got like um, this user base and how that's grown or shrunk or what have you. But with that came the announcement of a new uh, product or feature called DJ. And DJ is an AI DJ that is personalized to you. So this is a really cool, uh, a really cool thing. And I wonder, John, um, in the Spotify post, there is a YouTube video. And I'm wondering if for our live stream here, we could potentially play that. Um, and then perhaps for, you know, the final show, we don't show that. I don't know if the music would get 
get dinged. But the reason why is because I want to uh, give folks the chance to hear the voice of the DJ. Um, but if you think that's a no-go, then I can just do the explaining. It's up to you. All right, looks like we're playing it. So right hey, now, Max, we see the person on? Uh, tapping on things on. in the video. Personal AI DJ on Spotify. Let's go. All right, so that, that's all I wanted to show. Uh, there's the voice of the DJ. And basically oh, what we pretty hear, good. right? And what we hear is the DJ says hello to the person who is using um, this new Spotify feature. And then it's saying, hey, I'm going to kick things off. and We're going to listen to some music. So they play a song and the DJ says, uh, I know, you know, three years ago, uh, around the summertime, you were really into uh, mopey anthems. And so here's a few mopey anthems for you to cry while laying in bed while the rain is going outside. <laughs> and then it'll play that. And then afterwards, it's like, hey, it's time to get you out of your feels and get you up on the dance floor. Um, there are a few electro pop dance songs that I think you're going to like based on the fact that you uh, typically listen to this and this, and then it cuts into those songs. And what's awesome is, you know, Spotify has long had this very popular end of the year feature called Unwrapped, where it would um, give you a highlight of the music listening that you had done over the course of the past year. And you would get a, um, you would get the opportunity to see not only the music that you listen to, but the categories of music that you listen to, the genres. And then it would create a bunch of different playlists for you. And uh, it, it, then throughout the year, it would use that information to continue to create these different playlists based on the music that you like. So Spotify, having a long history of your music listening habits, can then create this personal DJ that will go through and find these songs for you, but also give you a little bit of insight into what it is suggesting and why. And I think that's so magical. Um, you know, I remember in college taking a media class and there was this story about um, radio stations with their DJs going from people being in the seat uh, at the, the DJ booth and providing, you know, in the moment, this live commentary to everything becoming automated. And there was this eerie tale of a place that had like caught fire and uh, the whole city had, you know, burned. And so people had moved, uh, had, had evacuated. And when the uh, emergency services trucks were going in, they had the radio on and this eerie thing where the automated DJ was still playing music and talking as if nothing, you know, had happened because everything was automated. And at the time it was kind of a commentary on sort of the, the coldness of going from people actually being there to not being there. But over time we've kind of moved away from uh, radio DJ land where you've got these, uh, these, these folks kind of telling you about the stuff that they're going to spin for the day and why they're spinning the stuff that they're going to spin and I think that part of that is because of the choices that we've all been given. We have more choice and more opportunity to listen to the music that we want to listen to. And so how can you combine choice and this new abundance 
while also still providing something like the value that that DJ uh, service once had. And this is a way to do it. And I think it's just so brilliant. To me, it's so brilliant. It's I get to listen to the music that I want to listen to, but I have this quote unquote person who's kind of guiding me through this music, maybe introducing me to some new music along the way, which as you get older, your music taste solidifies. So it is nice to know that, you know, you could potentially be introduced to some new things and just kind of have fun. So my only disappointment with this is I mentioned before, I'm a big audiobook listener. Um, and I use Apple Music for most of my music listening. So Spotify doesn't have a whole lot of it. I used to use Spotify exclusively, but these days Spotify doesn't have a whole lot of information about my music listening. And so mm. I have been um, trying to get the app to show me the DJ, but I don't think that it it, it doesn't have stuff other than um, every time I leave the house, every time there's no one in the house. I have mentioned this before. Um, I play classical music. And the reason why is because it's not about classical music specifically, but it is a low level of sound that the dogs focus on instead of all of the sounds that are outside that are distracting and potentially frightening to them, which then gets them all worked up, gets them anxious, gets them barking. And so by playing some music in the background, they've got that to listen to, and it lowers the chance of them getting frightened by something outside. And so it's resulted in them not, you know, barking and getting freaked out uh, while we're out of the house. Um, so basically Spotify, what it knows about me is um, I just continue to play the same stinking uh, playlist over and over again called Classical Focus. So for the past like three years, it's been Classical Focus, Classical Focus, Classical Focus. So there's not really, I think, an opportunity to use the DJ feature. But I'm, I got to tell you, this feature specifically is something that has me thinking about using Spotify as my main music listening service going forward because I want wow. to try this out, which is, yeah, it's kind of a, it's a big thing. Um, it, it's that compelling to me. Um, and I mean, obviously I'm already, it doesn't work so much on me in their favor because I'm already paying for Spotify, but it does make me wonder about others who, Maybe because think about two, Jason, um, there are two groups that they can kind of tackle here. One is the group that has legit nostalgia. I'm tapping a microphone a lot here. One is the group that has, that's how you know that this is real and not a, a DJ that's AI generated because occasionally there's some <laughs> Foley work going on. But um, one is the group that has genuine nostalgia um, for the times when you listen to the radio and hear a DJ spin through. And then the other I think is a group of younger people who may want to experience what that's like and get back in, you know, in touch with, oh, the way they used to do things. So this just all feels very smart on Spotify's part. And um, I am quite literally after the show, I'm going to make my uh, partner hand over his phone so I can try his DJ because I'm sure he's got it because he uses Spotify as his means of listening to music. So like, I really want to see this at work uh, in action. I mean, I can't wait to to see what it what it does, how it works. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm curious, you know, just in general, your thoughts about an AI DJ and if something like this is compelling to you. And also, actually, before you answer that question, though. I have a, a a question to lead to that. What is your music listening habit? Are you a 
like me, an album listener, where you seek out a specific album and listen all the way through and then go to a different one? Are you a playlist listener? Are you a hit random listener? Do you not listen to music? I know that one's not true. So yeah, tell me about your uh, music listening habits and then tell me what you think about having a generative AI DJ. My music listening is very sporadic and not very patterned. It's really just like I, I might wake up one day and be like, oh, I haven't heard that band in a while, you know, play a, a collection of that artist's songs randomly, you know, or I might be like, oh, that's a really great album. I'll play that album. It's all over the map. It's really just like what hits me at what time and and that sort of thing. Don't do a whole lot of playlist playing. Sometimes I do, but not very often. Um so that's kind of my my habit. Um, I do have Spotify. We have Spotify connected to our Google Homes throughout the house. So when we're listening to music at home, it's it's all done through our Spotify account. And my and my history is skewed because it's on the the home devices. I get all of the uh, listens to you know modern pop music that my girls are really into uh, attached to my name. So. Which is something that I'm very used to at this point. It's just been this way. You know, it was like that when I was on YouTube Music and it was connected through the Google Homes. And I mean, it's just the way it is at this point. I've just kind of accepted that. Um, so when I do mute listening for me, it's usually very specific because I can't rely on algorithms because they're going to give me a bunch of stuff that just doesn't actually apply to me. Sometimes they get it right. But I think what's interesting to me about this or the caution that I feel about this is I think it's neat technology. I hope that it isn't the kind of feature that when that is a, a proof of concept more than an actual useful, enjoyable experience. Like it's neat that an AI can be a DJ, but do I as a listener actually want a DJ when I just want to listen to music? You know what I mean? Like to, to some degree, the streaming, you know, the streaming solution is a bypass to what some people might feel is kind of like something that gets in the way of their listening to music, which is a DJ or whatever. However, at the same time, I have found many times where I'm listening to something and I have a curiosity like, oh, this this person's in this band. I wonder what else this did this person, you know, before this band, did they have was there another band that they that uh, this person was in? What is their history? A little context. Like I, I enjoy that kind of information around mm -hmm. how the music was made, who's involved, um, what other stuff is connected to it. And if I could get an AI DJ that, that uh, didn't pull me out of the experience because the voice was all wrong or whatever, but was actually good, which it sounds like maybe this is that could do that. I would totally use that depending on my mood. Like I'm, I'm not always in the mood for something like that. Sometimes it's like play music and sometimes it's kind of like, I want to learn a little bit of something, you know? So you listen to the song, you know, that last song was recorded in LA with a producer, blah, blah, blah. He also did uh, Nirvana. Nevermind. Here's a, here's one of his most popular, you know, produced tracks or whatever. You know what I mean? Something like that yeah. would be really cool. Like I would love that. I hope that um, I wonder if they've considered that because that would be pretty special. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how it uh, evolves. And um, as I mentioned, I'm going to try to move my listening over to Spotify for the purpose of, of gaining enough uh, use that it starts to uh, go, oh, he's more than just listening to a single playlist over and over yeah. on repeat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But I, but I, I will also say I'm, I'm a very nostalgic person. And so if I could trust my listening history, which I can't, but if I could, 
I would I would probably be very into, you know, some sort of a playlist where they're explaining why they're playing certain things from my history. You know, back in 2010, you were listening to a lot of uh, The Strokes or, or whatever. Here was a song that you listened to a lot that year or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. That right. would be that'd be cool. That'd be cool. I'd Absolutely. Be down for that. Yeah. Pretty neat stuff. I agree. Um, and, and actually, I wonder if other services like Apple Music are going to do this too, right? Like is Spotify opening the door and now uh, others are going to try this sort of thing. So you might not need to move to Spotify, move back to Spotify. Maybe it'll meet you where you are. I would love that. <laughs> we'll see. But anyways, we've reached the end of this episode of Tech News Weekly. Uh, we do the show every Thursday. Twit.tv slash TNW is the place on the web where you can go to subscribe to the show so you get it uh, on your phone, maybe even in Spotify. I don't know. Uh, but you can find all the links to uh, subscribe there. Twit.tv slash TNW. And if you'd like to get all of our shows ad-free, well, I've got a way for you to do that and get so much more. It's called Club Twit at twit.tv slash club twit. Starting at $7 a month or $84 a year, you out there, yes, you, can join the club. When you join the club, you get some pretty great things. As I mentioned, every single one of Twitch shows ad-free because, in effect, you are sponsoring the show. Uh, so you will get just the content. You also get access to the Twit Plus bonus feed that has extra content you won't find anywhere else, behind the scenes, before the show, after the show, all that jazz, and access to the members-only Discord server, which is a fun place to go to chat with your fellow Club Twit members and also those of us here at Twit. If you're going, what is a Discord server? Well, if you've ever used Slack or Microsoft Teams, you'll be right at home. It's a lot like those. You uh, have different channels or places where you can chat about specific topics and uh, share animated images and videos and links and all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, again, twit.tv slash club twit starting at $7 a month, $84 a year. The reason I say starting at is not because we've got sort of like a tiered deal. It is that um, as we've continued to make the club more valuable, people have said, hey, I'd like to give you more than $7 a month because I'm getting more than $7 a month of value out of this. Is there a way I can do that? And so uh, our own Patrick Delahanty flipped a switch that made it possible for you to choose to pay more. And that's because over time we've added some other great things, including the Untitled Linux Show, which is, as you might imagine, a show all about Linux, uh, Paul Therott's own hands-on windows program it's a short format show that goes over specific tips and tricks and walkthroughs for windows and then i also have a show called hands on mac uh, which is like paul therott's show a short format show with specific tips and tricks and walkthroughs about apple and its various devices so uh yeah that's part of the club and by becoming a member you get access to those shows uh those exclusive shows and you know we're always talking about new stuff to add to the club and um i may know a thing or two about a thing or two that could maybe be coming at some future point so as i mentioned we continue to make that club more valuable so hop on and join us we'd love to have you there um if you'd like to follow me online and check out the work that i'm doing uh, you can follow me at micah sergeant on many a social media network or head to chihuahua.coffee that's c-h-i-h-u-a-h-u-a.coffee where i've got links to the places i'm most active online uh check out hands on mac later today if you are a club member uh, that'll publish around i think 2 p.m also on Sundays, I co-host Ask the Tech Guys, uh, which is my show with Leo Laporte, where we take your tech questions and answer them. And it's also it's a bit of a variety show. We uh, have some great 
tech demos and uh, all sorts of fun stuff that we do on that show. And then on Tuesdays, uh, you can catch me with Rosemary Orchard for iOS Today, uh, which is a lot of fun where Rosemary and I talk about apps and services and gadgets and accessories that you may want to uh, make your your Apple device experience even better. We just covered on Tuesday, I was really happy with the episode, um, how to clean your different Apple devices physically. And then this coming week, we're going to do how to clean those devices digitally. So, you know, clearing out the cruft from the digital version. So be sure to tune in for that. Jason Howell, what about you? You can find me sometimes on Mastodon, twit.social slash at Jason Howell, sometimes on Twitter at Jason Howell there as well. Man, my social uh, tweeting and tooting and all that stuff has really slowed down. So I apologize. It's just kind of where my mind's at right now. But you can find me there uh, regardless. Uh, big thanks to everyone. Well, actually, beforehand, also all about Android. I forgot to mention twit.tv slash AAA. I think this next week we have Florence Ion. Uh, on the show to review a bunch of hardware. She was supposed to be on this last week, but she couldn't make it. So make sure and check out next week's episode. It's always special when Flo uh, swings by for an appearance. Um, as for this show, thanks to everybody behind the scenes helping us do the show each and every week. John Ashley, Burke McQuinn, uh, John Slanina, Anthony. I mean, there's so many people at Twit who help us do this show. Uh, not to mention the folks who, you know, update the feeds, Patrick, and, you know, do the marketing tie. I mean, so many people behind the scenes. So thank you to everyone one for all of your help and helping us you know put out a show on every single week and uh, thanks to you for watching we'll see you next time on tech news weekly bye everybody goodbye hey we should talk linux it's the operating system that runs the internet but your game consoles cell phones and maybe even the machine on your desk you already knew all that what you may not know is that twit now is a show dedicated to it the untitled linux show whether you're a Linux pro, a burgeoning sysadmin, or just curious what the big deal is, you should join us on the Club Twit Discord every Saturday afternoon for news, analysis, and tips to sharpen your Linux skills. And then make sure you subscribe to the Club Twit exclusive Untitled Linux Show. Wait, you're not a Club Twit member yet? Well, go to twit.tv slash club twit and sign up. Hope to see you there.